put it on the list. <laughs> That's what I've been telling my kids the last couple of weeks. Anytime they've asked me for something, put it on the list. Of course, I'm talking about a Christmas list. If it's not on the list, I tell them, I, I don't know what I'm going to get to you. So they want to put stuff on their list, right? One of my daughters, she texted me her list this year. That's the first time that's happened. Another daughter wrote a really short little list this year. I was kind of impressed by that. Apparently quite content. Well, thank you, God. Another daughter, perhaps you could guess which one, actually has such a long list, she taped a second page to what was on the refrigerator and added another 20 different specific stuffies and toys and <laughs> things that she was hoping to get. Oh, that makes me smile. She knows she's not going to get everything on her list, all our kids do. But as their dad, as a father, I truly enjoy seeing their list, you know, as far as it's wise and good and reasonably possible. Like, I, I want what they want. I want to be able throughout their lives to give them good gifts as their dad. No, you know, even though they know they're not going to get everything, some things I'm not going to want to get them, won't be able to afford to get and all that. But as their dad, I want to be able to give them good gifts. And it almost takes my breath away when I read their list and I see on there things like more time with family or time with my dad, you know. Man, I, lo I love seeing that. Like, if I'm really honest with you, like, that's pretty much my whole list right there. Okay, so why am I sharing that? Well, because I hope that, like it does for me, maybe also for you, it gets you thinking about, well, what, what would God want me to put on my list? Right? Or what are, the, what are the good gifts that our Heavenly Father wants us to ask Him for? You see, that's really the, the big idea behind this series, my grown-up Christmas list. Uh, take that, taking that title from a song, a Christmas song by that, by that title. Have you heard that song? My grown-up Christmas list, maybe sung by Kelly Clarkson or Amy Grant. <laughs> the lyrics of the song, they start out and they kind of remind us that when we're little, we tend to put things on our list, really thinking about ourselves, first of all. But we tend to put on there, you know, material things, Shiny new things, right? Toys and technology, things like that. But then as we grow up and hopefully mature also, we tend to find out and realize that those kind of things, they don't, they don't ultimately last. And those things that don't last, that don't endure, we also discover aren't actually able to like, heal our hurting hearts. No material gift under the tree can, can actually fix a hurting human soul. And those kind of things, they can't, they can't fix, they can't help, they can't repair what's broken out there in the world. All the pain and all the sadness that exists out there in the world, things like, like what happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin two weeks ago. Did you hear about that? I woke up that morning and on BBC World News, the number one story was about something that happened just a few miles from where I grew up. A disturbed man drove an SUV through a Christmas parade, and it seems intentionally trying to hit and run over and harm people, killing six people and injuring dozens, dozens more. It's so sad. It's so tragic. It's so senseless, right? Well, no material present given under a tree can heal that kind of pain, can it? Really, what we're going to see is there's, there's, only, there's only one who can. 
And if not fully in this life, then for sure in the next. And that's our Savior, Jesus. So what we want to do together the next couple of weeks, friends, is, is as we come together for worship in this series, we want to just kind of consider what, what might be on our grown-up Christmas list. What would our Heavenly Father want us to put on our Christmas list? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to start out, we're going to look at actually some ancient words from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. So Isaiah, he lived, the, the, the words that we're going to read in just a little bit, he wrote about 750 years before Jesus was even born. So Isaiah, he's, he's writing to God's Old Testament people who were about to go off and be taken away from their homes into exile in the land of Babylon, where it would be long and hard, and they would be waiting and waiting and waiting. He pictures their temple in Jerusalem as having been completely destroyed by God's enemies, and so there's this little group of God's people, so to speak, that's just kind of hanging on and waiting and wondering, God, are you going to act? Are you going to show up? Can you still come and help us like you've done in the past? So Isaiah is writing to these people, and as he writes, you, you hear a people really kind of crying out to God. All right, listen for this like anguished plea to God, kind of hoping that God would give them a second chance to be his people again, even though they know that they don't really deserve that. Okay, so here are the words that we're going to read today from Isaiah chapter 64, and we're going to read uh, nine verses, and then we'll just talk about a few of them before uh, we, we finish. So here's what Isaiah says in chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Well, okay, I'm sure you notice here, there's a lot of emotion there, isn't there? This is an, uh, an anguish, aching kind of prayer to God, isn't it? Again, he starts out, he says, Oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You know what that word rend means? 
seems to tear open, to tear apart. I see, you get what he's saying? His whole prayer is kind of like, God, God, you see the desperate situation we're in down here, don't you? God, we need you to do that thing where you, like, whatever it takes for you to, like, tear open the sky, come down here, God, to help and to act and to intervene because we need you. In a way, it kind of reminds me of when I was a boy. The house that I grew up in was a two-story house, and I can kind of still remember my mom or my dad calling up the stairs. I was probably, you know, in my bedroom playing video games and had the music on loud or something. I can remember them saying, Young man, come down here right now. <laughs> you know, of course, I don't know, does that sound familiar, anybody, right? Of, of course, for me, that probably meant I hadn't emptied the dishwasher or done something that I was supposed to do, or it was because they were calling me downstairs. I had done something wrong, and like now I was in trouble. I got a voice, you know, get down here right now, young man. <laughs> so when my parents would say that, it's usually probably because I was, I was in trouble. But here, Isaiah, it's kind of the reverse, isn't it? He's calling out to God, and he's saying, God, God, we need you to come down. We need you to show up. We need you to help because we, your people, are in big trouble. You know, it's not hard to look around at the world and think we're in big trouble, is it? Like, there's a lot of trouble in this world. I think that's one of the tough things about growing up, isn't it? As you grow up and you go through life, you find out that there's a lot more pain and suffering and hardship and sorrow out there than you ever really imagined, you know, especially if you grew up in a, a nice home with loving, loving family around you, right? You realize, wow, this world is broken. As you grow up, it's tough, too. You, you, you find out, like, there's just, there are, like, systemic, that's the key, that's the one of these buzzwords, right? But there are systemic issues with, the, with society, with the world, and it's like, it doesn't matter who's in charge. No politician's ever been able to actually fix all these things. What's wrong with this world? So much pain and suffering despite our advances in technology and all of our science and medicine, we, we still have sickness, we still have variants, we still have death. We haven't solved those issues. We go through life, we, we discover more and more there are, there are people out there in the world who have an agenda to overturn, as if, if it were possible, all of God's biblical values, to throw God off the throne himself, if that were possible. So hostile to God and his word. We find as we go through life, though, too, it's not just like out there, but we also experience our own personal struggles and troubles. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of frustration a lot of exhaustion, right? And all because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin. The Bible tells us that actually the whole creation itself is like groaning out in the pains of childbirth, right? So if it ever seems like the whole creation, the planet itself and everything around us is kind of falling apart and laboring under the curse of sin, that's because it is. And God's honest about that. He tells us exactly what the problem is in his word in the Bible. We can't just fix it on our own. So if you're like me, I mean... I, we'd like to just kind of maybe shield our kids from all that pain and suffering that's out there, right? I mean, at least that's how I often feel as a parent. Just protect them all from all that. And maybe you feel like that too sometimes. Perhaps maybe that's why I love to see on a kid's Christmas list, you know, my children and, and young kids, like, what do you want for, like, to see their list, you know, because if, 
just for a moment, looking at a young child's Christmas list, you know, you're, you can maybe think the world's just fine. Like when you see stuffed animals and art supplies and things like that, you know, everything's, everything's right in the world. And then what do we as adults do? We, we quickly sabotage that moment. We grab for our phone and we pursue that ritualistic slow scroll through social media and we find out everything that's wrong in people's lives. We we see what looks so perfect in other people's lives and we feel miserable about our own and we see all the news headlines and all the videos describing all the terrible things that are happening all over planet Earth one after another and we, we can hardly handle it. And our soul starts to go back to that numbing place that we've become so familiar with in our modern world. Do you ever wonder, as I do, uh, like, God, what should I even ask for? You know, I see all this stuff. I... I I feel my heart going hard because I can't handle it all. What should I even pray for? God, what should I even put on my Christmas list? I guess that's why this week, especially, I've really come to appreciate Isaiah's prayer. And just to say, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And maybe that could be our prayer as we just think about um, what, is that, what would that mean? What would that mean for us? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's how Isaiah begins his prayer because he's remembering who the true God is. He, he says a few verses later, you know, because God, you're, you're a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You're the one true God. You're the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah is reminding himself and his hearers, he's reminding us that, that God who we pray to, our Father, is one who actually does and has intervened in human history. Right? These aren't just stories with a good moral that we should follow, but these are stories about God's redemptive acts in human history. That God is a God who has come down and rescued his Old Testament people from their slavery in Egypt. God showed up with power. God showed up at Mount Sinai when the mountain trembled and there was fire and shrouded in smoke. And he declared his covenant to his people. He claimed them as his own. He led them into the promised land. God came down. He showed up. He intervened to help when there was no help. And as Isaiah prays, he's, he's remembering these things. He's reminding of these things. And he's, he's writing now to these people that are going to be going off into exile to Babylon, their worst enemies. And their wait is going to be long, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to look as if God's enemies are going to win. And truth be told, there will only be a small, faithful, believe, believing little remnant of people that's still hanging on and worshiping still hanging on and trusting that this God is still going to come through and keep his ultimate promise of sending the world a Savior. And so Isaiah prays, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's saying, God, we need you. We need you to come down again and intervene to help your people with power. Isaiah is very mindful, though, that this kind of a prayer, it's not just something that we can demand of God as if this is what we deserve as his people. Because did you catch why, as I read the verses earlier? He's pretty honest about this. He, 
He's not making a demand of God. He's making a plea to God on the basis of his mercy because Isaiah is admitting full stop that, that we don't deserve this because we, we we're all part of the problem. Do you catch what he said here in verses 6 and 7 again? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. It almost sounds like he's describing our society today, doesn't it? God, we just get out of our face. For you, you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Right, so it, it sounds great to say, all right, God, would you just come down here and do something about all those bad people out there who are doing all those bad things? Like, God, smite them down, right? Like, but that's not Isaiah's prayer because he knows if that were his prayer, what would God do? He'd have to smite us down. He's acknowledging we don't, we don't deserve your deliverance. And friends, it's just important that we... That's a hard truth. It's a hard truth. I'm, I understand. But we need, to, we need to wrestle with that truth for ourselves, that we too have all sinned preferring and pursuing our own ways instead of God's ways. And so it would be good for us to consider a little bit how, how foolish we would ever be if we would ever start to think to ourselves that it's because we like go to church and go through the motions of worship and we speak prayers to God and we give offerings and maybe even we work at a Christian school and that's why God should do what we want him to do for us as if we deserve that as his people. We should really kind of examine ourselves to, to just think like, do we ever go and sing and pray Greet each other with a smile, only to then go home and use our words to curse and to swear and to, to gossip behind each other's back. Do we ever go to work and treat our coworkers or our boss with cordiality and kindness, only to go home and bark at our kids or snap at our spouse with utter contempt with the most loveless kind of words and actions? Do we ever tell people to do or not do certain things, but then we go and we do those very same things when no one else is watching? You know, this is why Isaiah, it's important to get, like he, in the middle of this prayer, what does he do? He cries out, how then can we be saved? Catch that? Right in the middle, right he's praying to the Lord, how then can we be saved? Is there any hope? Yes, there is. And Isaiah goes on to point us to that source of our hope, the source of his hope. Those last two verses, 8 and 9, what does he say? He says, yet, yet, you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. I just love that little yet in there, you know, yet, like despite our sins, despite the society that we live in, yet you, God, who are you? You, Lord, you are our Father. We have a relationship with you, remember? You claimed us as your own. And you, you still, you're the potter. We still are your people. We are the clay for you yet to shape. We haven't been perfect. We do not deserve it. 
but we plead to you on the basis of your fatherly love. Lord, look on us. Have mercy on us. Perhaps then we might say that on our Christmas list, our grown-up Christmas list, what we, what we want, what we need is a second chance to be God's people. Um, I say it like that because I think in our world today, it's not all that common, is it, that people would give a do-over, a second chance. Uh, like especially lately, we live in a world where, boy, once the, once the social media mob is coming for you, they're out to destroy you, right, to cancel you. To, like, there's no forgiveness there in our world. But we have a God, Isaiah is talking about, who offers us a second chance to be his people. But, but not just like a second chance in the, in the way that we maybe think of it as humans. Like, not just a second chance like God is saying, okay, well, this time you better get it right. Or else, right? But, but a second chance in the sense of who is God. He's our heavenly father who loves us. He's a God of grace. He's a God who wants to give us his best gifts to show us his faithful love. So it's like second chance, third chance, fourth chance. Who's even keeping count anymore? Isaiah prays, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And he acknowledges, because now I know who you, I know who you are. You're a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Well, friends, who is our God? He's a God who has actually acted upon Isaiah's prayer, the prayer of Isaiah, the prayer of his people, our prayer too. He answered it on Christmas. How? Well, Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down. As we confess in the Nicene Creed, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. I mean, just think, the, the sinless, holy Son of God humbled himself to be born into this world as one of us to do for us the most amazing, I mean, incredible things that we could never even imagine or think about or come up with on our own. Remember, Isaiah, he cried out in the middle of his prayer, how then can we be saved? That's what he asked, right? How then can we be saved? Well, we know. It's through the sin-free, stainless, perfect life of Jesus who lived in our place. It's because of the anger-satisfying death of Jesus who died on the cross in our place. It's as a result of the grave-rattling resurrection of Jesus who lives now to prepare a place with us in the Father's presence in heaven. And that's why we have hope. Because of Jesus, Isaiah's God is, is our God. His prayer can be our prayer. His hope and our hope. Here's what he says again. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. So friends, what's on your grown-up Christmas list today? A second chance? Well, you've got it. Through Jesus Christ, who came down on Christmas, you've got it. And so much more. Because you know what else is in store? Well, just as Jesus came down on that first Christmas, he's 
coming down one more time. Not as a little baby this time, not coming to suffer and die and pay for sin. He's already done that so that God remembers our sins no more. He's removed them from his presence. We are forgiven. But he's coming back again a second time as the king of kings in glory. And yet, have no fear, friends, for Jesus himself says that when he comes back on the last day that we can actually stand up, lift up our heads, like rejoice, because our final redemption is drawing near. And that's what that day will be. Jesus is coming down one more time, rending the heavens to gather all of the little faithful, believing remnant of his people, wherever we might be, clinging to faith. He's going to bring us home safely to be with him in a, really a trouble-free paradise. And he's going to right all wrongs in the end. He's going to do... Um, for us, what we cannot do for ourselves, that is fix what is broken with this world. He's going to make it all new. And when he comes back that second time, he's going to gather all the scattered exiles of his people from wherever they might be, all those who trust in him as Savior. He's going to bring us safely home. Despite the fact that for a time, now we're going to live in a world that's like unbelieving Babylon all around us. So a second chance to be God's people, that's good news. You've got it. But being able to joyfully, with anticipation, look forward to Christ's coming again and to know that everything is going to be good forever, well, maybe you didn't even know that that's possible, but it is. That's the best possible thing we could have to look forward to. So let Isaiah's prayer be your prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's going to be a good thing. And we know who our God is. He's a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So keep on waiting, friends. It's going to be worth it. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding, may that peace Guard our hearts and our minds this Christmas season in Christ Jesus until we see him face to face in glory. Amen.